0: Hi, everybody. Today on the Latch Mama podcast, we are talking with Joy, who is a licensed clinical social worker who focuses primarily on perinatal mood disorders. We are kind of talking about how she landed um, where she is, why she practices the way she does, um, how to really kind of pinpoint the difference between baby blues and postpartum depression and anxiety and some fantastic coping skills and tools that she teaches her clients. Hope you enjoy it. you're listening to the Latch Mama Podcast, I'm your host, Melissa Wirt, business owner and tired mom of five. Join us each week as we talk about pregnancy, nursing, parenting, and all things motherhood. So, hi, Joy.
1: Hello. Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks for being here. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Okay. That's kind of an open-ended question.
1: Yes. Well, I am Joy, social worker. That is what I do two of the days of my week. Well, actually, sometimes it feels like every day of the week.
0: Absolutely. Um,
1: But with my own family, I have three lovely feral children. Um,
0: Anybody who also calls their children feral is like very, very close to my heart. (laughs) Joy's kids show up here at the warehouse and I'm like, oh... Feel like my kids are here, it's great.
1: Mm-hmm. They're, I, I usually describe them as delightfully feral.
0: That's good, that's yeah. a really nice way to put a positive spin on it.
1: Mm-hmm. Strengths based get- approach social workers are all about a strengths based <laughs> approach. Um, so yes, I have them one is seven, one is four, one is one, and we are just living our life trying to, yeah, have ourselves a good time and learn all the things. I have a lovely partner of over 10 years and yeah, together we're working as a team.
0: You homeschool your babies too? I do homeschool, yes. I'm telling you, Joy shows up here and I all of a sudden feel like my life is a little bit less chaotic or maybe our chaoses are together. It's mm-hmm. nice. It's good, good stuff. Um, so tell me a little bit about why you chose to practice what you do. Did you always mm-hmm. want to be in the mental health world or?
1: Yeah, so not entirely. I started an undergrad in political science and international relations. Wow. Yeah. Um, and then grew very disenchanted by that. So I was a senior in college who, a senior? Yeah, sure. Um, who decided she didn't want to do what she'd been majoring in for years. And that was like, oh, great. Um,
0: <laughs> sure. This
1: is, this so is you good. Getting,
0: so you're getting ready to graduate and you're like,
1: eh. Yeah. Not so
0: much anymore.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. Good. Um, but I got introduced to social work and social work seemed to be focusing on the people that I felt like we were often talking who gets left behind in the political process. So I That's went to cool. grad yeah. school for social work. Where'd you go? BCU. here? Okay, yeah, cool. Here in town. And I thought I would probably go into something like community organizing. That was kind of kinda of macro level. But life tends to have other plans. I didn't study the macro track in graduate school. I went for the clinical track cause I thought, oh, I have this political science background. Let me get some of the clinical background too. And then as life would have it, I just kept getting clinical jobs. Um, cause when you're a young grad student, you often just need whatever job they're offering you. And I ended up loving it and started to work primarily with children Okay. and doing getting trained in play therapy and attachment based therapies expressive therapies and as i did that you know you're seeing all these struggles that children have but s- coming to understand how much of that is with comes from the family system and the struggles that
0: the parents are having you didn't have any kids yourself at that point Mm-mm. okay
1: no nope. And at the same time, kind of parallel to that, I had a friend that started to kind of introduce me to birth work and some of the justice issues happening in maternal health and maternal mental health that I just had never been aware of. My friends didn't have kids. I didn't have kids. And so about a year later my partner ended up for the holidays his gift to me was he sent signed me up for doula training he said i think you should do this that's awesome um so i did that and it was just it was life-changing in terms of the education and i didn't immediately start practicing as a doula but just bringing even that information into my clinical practice like made me again pay more attention to the parents how are they doing um and then over time I did start doing doula work and again just seeing that like can we support women birthing people families in that pregnancy and postpartum period and just like that helps everyone it helps them it helps their children it helps the whole community and so I did that for several years I eventually moved into community mental health where I was getting to work with adults more but still not kind of By that time, I was just really wanting to work with pregnant and postpartum um, people. And so after a few years in community mental health, and by that point, I'd had two children. So I was understanding even more like the mental health aspect of parenthood. How
0: how were those experiences? Did you you use what you had learned kind of in your doula training and what you had learned practicing to make sure that you had the support or Mm -hmm. the better?
1: Yes. So I mean it's always humbling to like be the person that's like needing the help. Right. But my first pregnancy was unplanned. Right. So like 50% of pregnancies in the United States are. Um, So it was a surprise. It was soon a pleasant surprise, but it still just was took us on a different track. It sped up plans. You know, we thought we'd be married for over five years and all this stuff before we started having kids. And I, I, pretty soon was having my own like mental health struggles. Like when we talk risk factors, I certainly had some, like especially a long genetic history. And so I did seek out really supportive care, what I thought would be supportive. Um, While you were pregnant? Mm-hmm. Okay. Some of that didn't go so well. And so I had kind of a strange experience. So when I was pregnant with my oldest, my son, I was misdiagnosed with HIV during the pregnancy.
0: Holy moly. Yeah. Okay.
1: Um I have weird blood. Okay. So like on like that main screening.
0: So how long how long before I assume that they recheck? Is that Mhm. So they brought in they brought me back in, they rechecked, I
1: was positive again. Okay. And so then they had to send me to a specialist.
0: Was this an OB practice mm-hmm. or I was with
1: a midwifery practice (laughs) that no longer exists here in town. Um, Was planning a birth center birth. And it just wasn't handled very well. Um, It took about a month to get into the uh, infectious disease specialist. So that's kind of a month of anxiety. Did
0: you go down a rabbit hole at that point? I mean, were you like... Okay, so I have HIV, you know, what are the percentages that I'm going to pass this on? Like, is that where you were? Or did you live in kind of denial during that time? I, it was a little bit of
1: both. There was a lot of just like, fear and mourning, like, because, you know, there's certain things I had hoped to breastfeed my kids. And so if you are HIV positive, it is passed through breast milk. So that's just something you would not be doing. Um so I was already feeling like this preemptive loss of things I had hoped for and just like loss of my health or like could I have given this to my partner like what is going on? Um but through that it turns out I just have wonky blood. Okay. I don't have HIV. Um mm. was like this intro to just like high stress, high anxiety, needing more support, not feeling like I was getting it and so I mean I'm thankful that I had the doula training already that I felt just really comfortable, thus leaving that practice and going somewhere else to get more support. Um, but you know that was one complication. Like life just happens while we're pregnant, and with all those hormones happening, it just can make things so much harder. So Absolutely. like, we got through that. It was tough, right? But then there was like this whole component throughout my postpartum journey of just like mourning the loss of my mother, who I had lost as a teenager. Okay. Um, and we, you know, mourning is never done, right? And when we hit different life stages, it's like we have to mourn again. And so certainly my first postpartum experience was very like clouded by that grief of not having my mother there. Absolutely. Um, looking back, I can see ways where I was depressed, ways where I was very anxious and just kind of was trying to like, forge on and like white knuckle through it right like that transition back to work full-time was really hard um, but there was a lot of pressure I was like the primary source of income for our family so like there weren't really other options my husband was in college at the time um, and so just a lot of anxiety mostly I mean I mostly present with anxiety there was some I think just normal postpartum stress of adjusting to parenthood um, that kind of maybe presented with some depressive symptoms. But my main struggle has always been on the anxiety end of the spectrum.
0: So you had studied it at that point. You were a doula. You had dabbled in it a little bit in terms of practice. Were you surprised in general with just how hard the postpartum is. Cause I mean you can you can learn mm-hmm. about it, I found, and you can read articles and you can be prepared. But until you're actually in the trenches with those hormones, it's surprising to me almost every single time just how much it changes just about everything.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean it's it comes for everyone, right? Yeah, like absolutely. those hormone changes are gonna hit everyone and they are they are intense um, and just the adjustment especially to the first child in terms of that transition you have to make in your changing identity mm-hmm. mourning what your life used to be versus what it is now um, there's just it's so much to try to do and you're right like you can't know until you're in it like Absolutely. I always advocate for expectant parents to do as much education as they can and planning for the postpartum period but like that's good Mm-hmm. But it isn't always. It's never going to get you all the way there Absolutely. to
0: like everything just goes a hundred percent smoothly. So you came out on the other side of that. Mm-hmm. Did you did you change how you were practicing at that point, or did your life take a different turn? Or,
1: well, I will say the one thing that time that I think made such a difference in my mental health my mothering journey what also like started to get me even more interested in working with pregnant and postpartum couples families um, was that i found a supportive like mothering community probably about seven months postpartum i had heard you know that there was like this mothering circle that meets in town and you should go check it out and normally i worked that night of the week but finally I just went and told my boss, I need to switch my nights. I need to do this thing for me, right? Which is one of the hardest things for new moms to like say, I'm going to do something for myself. Absolutely, But it's so good to do, right? We need to do these things. And I was in that group for several years, like once a month. And it became just such this place of non-judgment and support and being able to get advice and hear other people's experiences and have things be normalized. And it was just this place too where like, No, it wasn't a competition. It wasn't a Facebook group. It wasn't a Facebook group. And it wasn't like we have to pretend like things are nice or easy,
0: Mm
1: -hmm. right? Like people were real there about like the really hard parts or that sometimes our kids are terrible and we don't like them very much or we feel like this distance with our partners or, you know, just in-laws and parents and all the stressors. So... It was just a wonderful support and just got me thinking about the power of women supporting other women in the parenting journey.
0: That's incredible. I mean, definitely one of the reasons why, you know, we're trying to do what we do with Latch Mama is just try to touch as many people as we can. Um, But I don't think that there's anything better than that face to face, Mm -hmm. you know, communication and hugs and, you know, really, truly being able to be real without... You know, getting judged or something like that—that that you see so much on social media and stuff. So, yeah. Um, so now you practice, mm-hmm. and you—you've had a couple more kids, but you focus primarily on helping women through this stage. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me more about that.
1: Okay, so you know, at least one in five women is going to struggle at some point throughout her pregnancy or the postpartum period with some sort of mood or anxiety disorder. It's like the number one complication of childbearing. And um, some of that, I mean, there's just so many risk factors that goes into it, but that's Hundreds of thousands of women, right? And like in the Richmond area where we are alone, like that's 15,000 or so women a year give birth. If like one in five of those women are struggling, yeah, that's a lot of women. Absolutely. Um, and you know, we have, thankfully, like in our community, we have a lot of resources for like birth support and doulas and postpartum doulas. But a few years ago, we didn't have that many therapists that were working primarily in this issue. There was a few that were kind of like trailblazers and really working here for several years. And I'm really thankful in the last just three years, we've probably tripled the amount awesome. of therapists that are working in this area. Um, but we're just trying to get women couples, partners in the door and just give them tools and give them like a safe place to come and get support and, you know, just begin to have
0: that recovery process. So do you want to talk a little bit about what a perinatal mood disorder is Mm -hmm. and just kind of educate us a little bit on, you know, just some things that are – that are kind of a normal adjustment versus something that you know may benefit a little bit from help and support and therapy or something
1: okay sure so let's start with kind of like what is the normal end of the spectrum so most women are going to experience some postpartum stress and that can include just again i mentioned a little earlier but like we're having to deal with this like changing identity I sometimes describe it as like if our identity was a shelf where we have things on the shelf like i was a partner i was a social worker i was a very reluctant runner um i love to read and you know whatever and then you become a mother and it felt like that came in and was so big it knocked everything off the shelf yeah right and so women need to wrestle with that right like especially you know if you're working outside of the house, like you've spent years or months like in an office and now you're sitting at home, hopefully because you have some sort of maternity leave, but like yeah. that's a big shift. And so it takes time for motherhood to start to feel like it shrinks down to like pull those other
0: things back up onto the shelf. That's such a good analogy. It's so, I mean, it's so, it's so true. And I think that, especially as you go on to have more kids, you're aware that it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And I almost can say like, almost visualize like, okay, this time, this is where motherhood's going to fit, but there's still going to be a couple inches on each side. And I'm going to still try and keep the, mm-hmm. the great partner and great business owner up there too. Yeah. But I know every time it's going to knock everything down for a little while. And just to be prepared for that is is hard, especially the first time, because yeah. you, you probably don't understand the magnitude of the change that's about to happen.
1: You don't know, and you also don't know what the other side looks like, right? Like, thankfully, now, I mean, you are a veteran of this. You know that eventually motherhood does shrink down, that you can pick stuff back up off the shelf. You've also mourned the fact that some of those things you're not ever going to pick back up on the shelf, right? And you're just going to choose new things that come up,
0: Absolutely,
1: right? So, like, almost all women are going to go through that struggle, right? They're going to go through some times of grief and... I really work to normalize grief. We we view grief sometimes in like a really negative light, like it's a sign that something's wrong. But mm-hmm. truly, it's just, it is a part of life, right? And so it is healthy and okay to mourn what life was like pre-kids,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know? Yeah. Um, and for your partner as well, and to sometimes just join around it, right? Like... Before you used to be able to be spontaneous and you could stop at the store on the way home from work and like grab stuff and not think that like your boobs <laughs> were gonna explode because <clears throat> you know, you've timed your pumping to like when to get home at work and like nurse your kid. Yeah. Um, you're driving around on a Saturday and you've been up since six AM and you see people lined up for brunch and you're just like, Who are these assholes like just rolled out of bed and yeah. decided to like go to brunch? Go to right? Brunch. Like those days oh. are long gone like you mourn yeah you mourn those Absolutely. things um and then we struggle like in the postpartum time with like this idea of like the perfect mom like we live in this day and age of like oh, the perfect terrible. mother yeah. right and there's mm-hmm. like a think piece on the internet for every parenting choice you could ever every make single one with uh, like
0: the nice like black and white photo of the mom hugging the baby or mm-hmm. kissing him good night it's Every single time you yeah. scroll through Facebook, yep. letter to my firstborn, or <laughs> today yeah. today was the last time I breastfed, or today you're off to school, and it's like for crying out loud, yeah. Like, just there's emotion everywhere,
1: mm-hmm. and it makes it really easy to start comparing, right, mm-hmm. and to feel less than. And so, social media, like especially when we're sitting there with the baby, we spend a lot of times on our phone, and that can just kind of fuel this comparison. And so. I, all of-
0: yeah i remember with my firstborn he was super colicky and i would go online and i would look at these facebook articles and it would be like oh you know today i mourned that you know you're not co-sleeping anymore or today i mourned this or a letter to my firstborn and i remember even probably to this day i have been so excited for every milestone he's hit because he's become more mature and more control of his emotions and stuff and i just remember feeling so guilty that i wasn't cherishing those moments mm-hmm. when the internet told me i was supposed to be cherishing them all yeah. but i wanted to just be moving forward i w- mm-hmm. i wanted to hit fast forward and i knew that that was okay but at the same time i felt a little bad about it you yeah. know and it's just like it, there's so much of what we see every day on the internet is telling us we should be feeling differently or you know we should be you know making the pinterest cookies that we see online <laughs> and stuff like that yes so it's fascinating
1: Yeah um so that's just like kind of normal struggles that sometimes brings people into therapy right because they're just struggling with the adjustment what is what is happening here mm-hmm. um this is really hard and so sometimes that's what therapy in the postpartum period looks like is just helping people give voice to that to normalize it to say yeah that's okay like you're doing a great job like mm-hmm. you know I often talk with couples about, or especially moms about the line, like, good for you, not for me. Like so much of like, once you're a parent is you're going to see all this stuff and you just have to be like, good for them, not for me, right? Like you're breastfeeding your child until they're seven years old. Sure. Good Mm -hmm. for you, not for me. Like you decided from day one, you weren't going to. Sure. Good for you, not for me. Like with so many things in terms of parenting. But then for some women, well, and let me back up the majority of women will have some sort of baby blues. And so that means that for up to two weeks postpartum, because of all of those hormonal shifts that are happening and the lack of sleep, that we get teary about things, right? Sometimes it's a sad teary. Sometimes it's a happy teary. Like, oh, I'm just so thankful that we're all here together. I'm watching this commercial and boy, like it really got me in the heartstrings. Um, But we're easily overwhelmed. Our mood's just kind of up and down. And that Mm. is normal right? Like often we just need a good cry. Like crying is so good for us, Yeah. right? Like, I mean, we don't want to cry all day long, but when you cry, literally stress leaves your body through
0: your tears. Like we
1: expel cortisol, one of our stress hormones through our tears. So so
0: funny. it's okay to cry. Joy and I share a midwife and I feel like she always calls after a baby on a certain day. It's like the day your milk comes in. I never want to talk to her. And I'm like voicemail 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 and I don't answer her text don't want to talk to you you know and she's very dear to me but I don't want to talk to her that day but I have learned that if I do talk to her because I know I'm going to cry and I cry oh my god you feel so much better Mm -hmm. it's fascinating to me it's it's just because you know it's like this for people who don't necessarily like to be emotional or show vulnerability which I am one of them um it's fascinating to me that it actually does have an almost physical change of your body, mm-hmm. like it's well it does it's it's fascinating you're, you're
1: losing some of the stress,
0: yeah it's I don't know, it's cool,
1: so like you know we're just often <coughs> gonna need to have our cry during yeah. that time, however, beyond that, right, like we're looking especially in the first three months is when it's most common for a mood or anxiety disorder to kind of pop up, but you're Just still really tearful Mm -hmm. all the time. Um, Feeling sad, maybe starting to feel kind of hopeless. You're not really feeling like you can enjoy things. You feel very easily overwhelmed. Um, Doesn't get talked about enough that we can get really irritable and angry or sometimes feel ragey, right? Mm -hmm. Towards ourselves, towards our babies, towards our partners. If we have older children, you know, I try to work with moms to prepare them like, you will probably never have been as mad at your toddler absolutely. as you are in the
0: postpartum yep. period. Um, we were just talking about that yesterday. We had Dr. West on, a pediatrician, and uh, we were talking about the fact that she was talking about adjusting, you know, having another baby, and you know how your words matter to what you say to them. And I'm like, oh, absolutely, absolutely. But then I stopped her and I was like, but I can say this right now because I'm kind of through it. But those times you get so mama berry, you know, Mm -hmm. you get so, and you get angry and all of a sudden you're saying things or saying things with a tone to a younger child that was like your entire world, like 48 hours earlier. And it's like, who am I? Who have I become? Mm -hmm. Am I a monster? But so much of it is hormonal through Mm -hmm. the shifts in that beginning. So yeah, it's fascinating.
1: Yeah. So, you know, some women, They're having that some women with anxiety. So, depression and anxiety are often together in the postpartum period. So, like, some women only have depression, some women only have anxiety, but a large amount have some of both. And so, those are also women that are just feeling very anxious or they're worrying about things. Maybe they're starting to have these intrusive thoughts or images come into their head of like, dropping the baby or somehow harming the baby or something bad happening to the baby. Um, They're starting to feel very worried about germs, right? Mm -hmm. Like this is why sometimes having a baby in the wintertime puts you at greater risk for having postpartum depression or anxiety um, with the lack of sunlight, but also just like flu season. Like people are just like, there's germs everywhere. How many
0: times does a pediatrician tell you what happens if your baby gets a fever in the first two months? You Mm -hmm. know, don't let them get a fever. Don't let them get a fever. And I'm like... And oh, then goodness. go to the ER and then yeah. the thought
1: of going to the ER too, you're yeah. like picturing all the germs that are there.
0: Yeah.
1: Um. So, you know, and especially like trouble sleeping, sleep is also like a good barometer for like how you're doing. Um, if your baby is asleep and you are laying in bed and you're tossing and turning and you just can't seem to turn off your brain or you're waking up at night and then you can't turn off your brain. That is always something I'm looking at like, Oh, that's not a great sign. Right. Because, mm-hmm you are so tired, you should be like, yeah, should be able to fall asleep. Um, and so when women are starting to feel that way, that means that they have a medical condition, usually that needs to be treated as such and get some help and support in it. And it's okay. It is okay. And it's treatable, right? And it's not something ever that women have done or not done. Right. Yeah. Like women can feel again guilt, like, oh, I should have prepared more. Right. Or, you know, I've even heard from partners like, well, she's had anxiety for years. Why didn't she do more work before now to be more okay during this time? And it's like, whoa, like you could do all the preparation in the world and still Yeah. Have this happen. Right. Like you can't there is no such thing as a hundred percent prevention.
0: Yeah. Right. Can you do you feel comfortable sharing Maybe some of the tools that you kind of arm moms with as they, mm-hmm. you know, kind of explore life as being a mom and stuff. Is that?
1: Yeah. So let's see. In the early days, especially when people come in, one of the first things we look at is sleep hygiene. Okay. And so, our sleep is so fundamental to our mental health, right? Like even for women that had no, no history of anything, if you took anyone off the street, not even postpartum, and you compromise their sleep for 30 days, they will start showing clinical signs of depression.
0: It's fascinating.
1: So, I mean, and there's so many struggles with sleep. So we start looking at, and I, well, I should back up. Before I do sleep hygiene, we do a lot of work on validating their needs. okay, And that it's, we're gonna look and try to give you things that you need, right? Because I think as women in our culture, often like the taboo thing is to be a needy woman right like on the list of things to be as a woman it's like above all else do not be needy right like (laughs) so ridiculous it's like the scarlet inn yeah right like
0: don't (laughs) can't be needy
1: don't be needy um and it's it's such crap right like it's just such crap like we do need things and we have a culture that like often is focused on the baby and we're not checking in on the mom and we're not checking in on the partner and how are y'all doing so sometimes it's just like letting them have permission to like you matter right um, and then we start looking at okay let's talk about your sleep
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know let's talk about um getting on the same page with your partner and so often I ask them to bring their partners in I mean some partners already are coming in Um, sometimes partners are the ones that actually contact me right because for some women that are so depressed or so anxious like those phone calls or those emails the back and forth Mm -hmm. can cause so much stress that they just don't even do it so like that's a great way that partners can support moms right Um, or they bring them in and so sometimes it's a meeting together or we just like Let's make a complete postpartum care plan. Even if you're five months postpartum, we can still plan, right? Like, how are you guys going to start getting sleep? Um, I really advocate a no, like all or nothing approach when it comes to feeding. So like nighttime parenting is a two parent operation and we're really looking for women to get a four to five hour stretch of uninterrupted sleep as soon as possible and get that on a nightly basis. And so that usually means that one feeding is going to need to be taken over by partner if okay. they weren't already doing it. And so, you know, that's where I go, like, all or nothing with feeding. Like, if it, you have the milk, use the milk. But don't stress yourself out further. Absolutely. Right? Like, it's okay to use formula for Absolutely. those feedings. Yep. Um, because mom needs to get rest. Right? And babies need healthy parents more than they need breast milk just Absolutely. to be yeah. frank you yeah, know yeah. um and so we we look at that and then we start looking at like a lot of their thoughts you know and the things they're saying to themselves because
0: sometimes those from what you said earlier those sometimes can manifest themselves in such a way that they can't sleep mm-hmm. so they're getting this space away from the baby but it mm-hmm. takes them a little while to calm down the thoughts that are hmm coming in
1: yeah so sometimes if it's a lot of racing thoughts at night instead of trying to get rid of the racing thoughts entirely because that often leaves women feeling like a failure like they can't get rid of them Mm -hmm. we just try to make a space for them so like some women will try having like setting a timer for their worry time right and like writing in their journal all the worries right and then when the timer goes off They stop writing the worries. Maybe they write a response to the worries. Like, I hear this, but here's what I'm going to do about this, right? Like, is this worry something, a productive worry that I could do something about? Is it something I need or want to do something about, right? Like, um, maybe they write a response and then we go towards like, all right, now let's drink a cup of tea or let's listen to a guided meditation and now let's try to go to sleep.
0: Okay.
1: Right. Um, and sleep however you can. So, like the postpartum time, we are trying to survive. And I also mm-hmm. work with moms. Like, what you're doing right now is not the rest of your life. But if you need for those four or five hours to go sleep mm-hmm. in another room, Absolutely. that's what you do. Yep. Right. Do you need to put in earplugs? Do you need to move the monitor to the mm-hmm. other side of the bed? So, like, yeah. do you're not. You need not to tell your it?
0: partner that, hey, you know what? For a little while, you need to sleep in the guest room. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. That's, I mean, we're four months postpartum, but. My husband knows if I am asleep and the baby's asleep and he thinks in any way whatsoever he's going to wake one of us up, he goes to the guest room. Mm-hmm. And I think our marriage is great. And that's okay right now. Yeah. Because he knows if I don't sleep, all the balls start to fall mm-hmm. from there. I mean, it's just it. It is what it is. So. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And with multiple children, like partner's biggest role often then turns towards like the older children.
0: Absolutely.
1: Right? Because toddlers also don't always sleep through the night. Seven-year-olds don't sleep through the night. Oh, yes. Um, And so they kind of can take that. Absolutely. Right? Yep. Um, So we do some work around just tools like that. I mean, in terms of evidence-based approaches to therapy, we are looking at helping them kind of get more mindful, you know. I can't say enough about like guided meditations and starting a practice. Like there's so many apps, but like it literally changes our brain. If you and I scanned our brains today mm-hmm. and then we did some sort of guided meditation for like five to seven minutes a day, every day for four months and we scanned our brains again, our brains would literally look different. That's fascinating. Um and so it just it helps. What does it do? I mean it just starts growth in new okay. areas of the brain and it helps like, right now, like, our brains are just naturally wired towards negative thinking. Okay. You know, like, from an evolutionary perspective, that's how we survived was, especially as parents, was, like, assuming dangers around every corner, right? Like, the people that thought there might be a lion over there to eat me mm-hmm. were people that were prepared to get away from the lion. Okay. The people are like, oh, it's going to be fine, get eaten by the lion. Okay. Right? Yeah. And so, like we tend to have a lot of like pathways in our brain that go towards negative thoughts and those just stick faster. Like we have to think on positive thoughts for like at least 15 seconds for them to even start to stick the way a negative thought just sticks almost instantly. Thanks evolution. I mean, glad yeah. that we survive, like yeah our species survive, but now we don't live in a time where like we need to be that hyper vigilant yep. absolutely um at least here like you know we're yeah. privileged where we live right now that we don't have to be so hyper vigilant so it is about trying to help create more pathways in our brain that we go more to like uh Come, let me okay yeah like Let me not take that thought and, like, kind of go down this rabbit hole of, like, oh, if that's going to happen, then this is going to happen, and then this bad thing is going to happen, right? Like, oh, like, for some women, like, thinking from the anxiety perspective, it might be, oh, my kid's going to get sick, or what if my kid chokes or starting Mm -hmm. solid foods? What would I do? Would I try to do the Heimlich? Would I call 911? And then, like, people are, like, rehearsing in their brain, like, where do they find their phone? Could they get to a neighbor? How fast would the ambulance get here? What's it going to be like in the hospital? What would our insurance? And like you just like yeah. go into this full spiral. So we're doing we're doing tips and tricks in therapy to try to help women or partners like stop, stop kind of yeah. that cycle from going. Um, we often spend a lot of time pushing back on the shoulds okay. that women are yep. coming into therapy with, right? Shoulds are... Uh,
0: Yeah, they're not good.
1: Yeah. Um, You know, you said that curse words are okay. This is my line in therapy that I use. I call shoulds pernicious little motherfuckers. Okay, like they're not, they're not good. Um,
0: Where are those shoulds coming from? I mean, are they coming from just culture, social media? Like, what do you I think that I assume there's probably more nowadays mm -hmm. than there were. I'm sure there's some that are family based or coming just, from parents I mean, we were talking earlier about homeschool in general and yeah having the parental pressure of you know is this the best decision for our kids and stuff like that
1: yeah I mean I think it comes from culture I think it comes from also just our own hopes of like who we thought we would be yep. as a parent or who we wanted to be right like you know one of my sheds was like okay shouldn't shouldn't yell at kids you know it activates this part of their brain and then they kind of go into their own fight or flight do you know what i discovered because i used to work full-time and now i homeschool it's so much easier to not yell at your kids if you work full-time outside of the home and you're not with them that much and now that i'm with them i'm like oh hmm. Mm
0: -hmm. yeah Hmm."
1: it's been a great humbling experience right but like shoulds have this what like they can bring on shame right and shame doesn't help us. It doesn't move us forward. It just like sticks us in this dark place. Absolutely. Um, and so, you know, instead of shoulds, we talk about like, what do I want or what do I need? You know, do I want to do this thing? Do I need to do this thing? Like, and make a decision from there. But if you're making it from a should place, yeah. that
0: often isn't going to serve us. It's fascinating. It's It's so true, though. Like, I mean, I can't imagine you know, walking through life, you know, not having passion or a belief on why I'm doing something. And I feel like if you're doing something because you feel like either society or history tells you you should be doing it, you do, it. I think, probably with a lot less passion and love and commitment. Mm -hmm. And so many things in parenting are hard that when you take those elements away, they make them even harder. Yeah.
1: And if you think you should like this, right, or that Mm -hmm. it should be the best time of your life, because Mm -hmm. if you're pushing a kid through a grocery store at some point, someone who's older than you Mm -hmm. is going to tell you to enjoy every single moment because it goes by fast. Like, yes, it goes by fast. But like the pressure that I see women feel like I thought I was supposed to love this and I don't love it and I feel so bad. And it's Mm like, it's okay. Also, some of us don't like certain stages, Yeah, right? Like, it's okay to not like newborns or the toddler stage very much. Like, we hear from parents all the time that a lot of them don't enjoy the teenage
0: years as much. Like, it's okay to not like every stage. And it's okay at the end of the day to not have liked your kid that day. Like, Mm -hmm. I mean, I have those days where I'm like, wow, like, that was just not an enjoyable day. Mm -hmm. You're being nasty to me. Like, I'm trying to you know, be kind to you and you know, it's, it's okay. Yeah. It's okay not to be incredibly infatuated the moment you meet your baby too. I've learned that as well. Like, you know, we think that we're going to have this overwhelmingly strong connection and, you know, sometimes it takes time and, you know, it takes time to wait for that first smile and those, those times to get to know each other for sure. Cool. Well, thank you. Yeah. This has been awesome. Will you come back? Can we dig a little deeper?
1: Yes. Cool. On that so, last okay, yeah. last thought, we just, we gotta be gentle with ourselves. Absolutely. Right? Like when we have bad days, yeah. okay? We'll try again, right? Like not get into that because today was bad. Yeah. All days are gonna be bad. This didn't go the way I wanted it to. It's never gonna go the way I wanted to. Like just
0: it didn't go the way that it social media said it was supposed to go. Or, Mm -hmm. you know, I finally get to bake cookies with my toddler who can stand up and help, but it was an absolute disaster. Mm -hmm. You know, there are moments I think that we build up in our brains to be these magical, magical moments in parenthood. And maybe we look back on them a few months later and we look at the pictures and we do remember them as magical, but in the moments they're they're terrible. Yeah. They're overwhelming. They're not what we pictured them to be.
1: We're stress sweating and like being yeah. like, oh no, don't pour that into the batter now. Or yeah,
0: yeah um, I try and remind myself. Like I'll look back on pictures from a vacation and I'll be like, oh, that was such a cool, cool time. But then I try and remember how I was feeling actually that day, and I was stressed because we had to pack the kids up and we had to make sure there were snacks, and somebody was melting down. But those aren't the pictures you look back on. Yeah, you know. It's all just fascinating. I think it's just a it's parenting in a different time. Yeah. Maybe we should talk about that sometime. let mm-hmm. Let's do it. Yeah. Cool. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks Appreciate for having it. me.